0: Unfailing Lord, come and continue just to speak through Your Word, as only You can. May the words of our mouth, my mouth, and the meditations of all of our hearts be pure and acceptable in Your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. From Philippians chapter four, Paul writes to the early church: "I rejoice greatly in the Lord." I can do all this through him who gives me strength. God always blesses the reading of God's holy word. Come Holy Spirit. Amen. So Paul starts out by saying, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renew your concern for me Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Well, this refers to a financial donation that the Philippians made to Paul's ministry. And the word renewed suggests that the Philippians' support to Paul came after a time when they weren't able to do that for a while. For whatever reason, you don't know. Perhaps it was because they, they just couldn't afford it. Perhaps that he was too remotely located to get it. We don't really know. they were out of touch for a little while and perhaps you've had this happen perhaps you've had someone close to you who was always supportive always there and then suddenly they weren't there for a while and maybe you noticed and you started to resent it why haven't i heard from so and so you reach out to them no response Maybe you feel some resentment creeping in. And then when they do connect with you, you might feel tempted to say, well now, where have you been? Well, Paul shows us in just this one verse how to live the gospel in that moment. As he responds to their renewed concern, not with accusation or shame, but with rejoicing. It says, verse 10, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. That at last you renewed your concern. In other words, welcome back. It's so good to be reconnected. It's moments like this when we, we kind of re-evangelize each other, right? We preach the gospel of grace to each other by extending grace past what, what might have been previous disappointments or just a lack of connection. And rather than accuse and shame, we embrace the other person and say, it's great to be together again. You know, life lived in the trenches of human experiences is going to have all these ups and downs and middles. You're going to get plenty of chance to give grace. Paul makes it clear he's delighted in their re-engagement to support him. Welcome back. And we, we share the gospel with each other when we say, welcome back. We got to preach the gospel to each other all the time, right? But then Paul pivots in verse 11. He embraces their support, but then he tells them this I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. We just returned from our trip to California. We went to Auburn, just northeast of the Bay Area, to see Jill's cousin, Tom, who was battling stage four pancreatic cancer. They've stopped chemo. The chemo wasn't working. Um, he is on some naturopathic uh, treatment now. And the tumor uh, has apparently, one of them has apparently shrunk a bit. And he's feeling pretty good. So while we were there, he was in good form and um, We had a really precious, precious time with Tom and his wife, Kaylin, their daughter, Stephanie. They'd been missionaries in Africa for years, and we met with Jill's two other cousins and their families. It was awesome. And from the first day of the trip, on that first day, Tom and Kaylin took us up to this retreat center, Up on this mountain, tree-covered mountaintop, and we—it's a retreat center for pastors and missionaries. And there was a pool, and there was a hot tub, and they were—I think I saw a fox or a coyote. I'm not sure what. It was wonderful. But then there was that ride back from Lake Tahoe. It's a—it's a bit of a two-hour drive. It's about a two-hour drive or so back from Lake Tahoe. We took a trip down there. It was awesome. And we saw Emerald Bay, which is otherworldly. It looks like a CGI effect, right? Beautiful time down there. But on the way back on I-80, we were cruising along trying to get back in time to be with Jill's cousin Patty's family, who Jill hadn't seen in years. We were going to get back there and have dinner. They were making a dinner for us. Suddenly, the traffic slowed. And then the traffic stopped. And it was a half hour. And then it was an hour. And then it was two hours. And then it was three hours. And in about three and a half hours, we were in traffic. Now, I wish I could stand up here and say, and the whole time I was, I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. But let's just say I was a moving target, right? I was sort of up and down. You know, I had my moments where I was in a zone of, okay, well, this is chill. This is family time. And then I'd be like, but we got to get back for Jill's family and why aren't we moving? And what does say? Well, okay, we're all right. I think we'll be okay. But, but what about what's going on? Why can't they close? Well, it's okay. We can be with family time. But what is this with California? Why do they have all this bureaucracy? That they can't? I had a whole narrative going in my head pretty soon about what's going on, right? I had diagnosed the whole thing. Apparently a semi full of food had caught fire and it was a blaze and it's a two lane highway in more rural California. Uh, I eighty. And so they had to shut down one lane. There was no shoulder that to shut down one lane to get the equipment there. Shut down the road. We missed the dinner. We got to know our people around our car a little bit. The other cars we got a little, little bonding, a little, little uh, traveler bonding there. Maybe you've been there. You've been jammed up. Life has a way of jamming us up in moments when we feel anything but content. Maybe it's just a traffic jam. Or maybe it's something so unthinkably awful like when dear, faithful, kind-hearted cousin Tom gets stage four pancreatic cancer and the chemo doesn't work. Traffic jams cancer and everything in between you've probably had to deal with reasons to be discontented somewhere in your life probably recently paul sure did paul's under house arrest in rome as we talked about we think it's rome when he's writing this paul writes a bit later that he's finishing this letter at one point um he's finishing this letter and he mentions at one point in his ministry in verse 15 of this chapter he says, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. So this is a guy who has had triumphant moments. I mean, wow moments. The Areopagus in Athens, you know, pro- proclamation, confronting the enemy, uh, evil. Um, but then he's also been beaten up. He's been jailed. He's had bad times. so... When Paul says, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty, Paul has plenty of street cred to back that up. Paul continues in verse 12. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in plenty or in want. The Greek here for content is autarchia. And scholars point out that this is a term used in Stoic philosophy. You'll find this sometimes. Christians, early Christians, the Bible, the early church, had a way of rating the vocabulary of the surrounding world and kind of, you could say, evangelizing it. You know, reloading some of these words with newer, richer meaning so that it connected with the surrounding culture, but then it also kind of converted their way of thinking. Isn't that cool? So not only evangelizing people, but they were evangelizing language. And autarchia is one of those. You see, because the Greek Stoics saw autarchia as maybe more like Spock, right? Kind of chillville. like don't go there, let emotions crush them, push them down. It was used to describe the self-sufficiency vibe of someone like a Socrates. The idea that, hey, just be content with whatever fate or the gods dish out to you right that was how the greeks saw it paul uses this word here though differently it's the only time the word is used in the new testament and there's a big difference as scholars like gerhard kittel point out in how paul uses it from how the greeks use it he converts out by refocusing it on jesus we'll run that in a second This atarkeia, this contentment, has three important points about it. One is this. Contentment is not natural. Have you noticed that? When we're in a traffic jam, contentment is not the natural human response. Oh, I'm content now. I'm stuck. Therefore, I am content. No, that's not how that works. That ain't how we roll. But notice, Paul says in verse 11 and 12, I have learned to be content Verse 12, I have learned the secret of being content. The Greek here for learn is emethon, which belongs to a cluster of words, including mathetase. Mathetase is disciple. It's the same idea. This is a schooling word. It's a process word. Contentment of the sort that Paul describes takes time and it takes practice. I had a lot of chance to practice on the way back from Tahoe. (laughs) We all will. Try this. The next time I'm speaking to myself, try this, Matthew. The next time you find yourself impatient or, or discontented in any way, try to reframe it as an opportunity to learn, right? Hear this verse. Maybe maybe I should memorize this. Maybe we should memorize this. I, I'm staying in the checkout line, it's taking too long. I have learned to be content. I am learning. I have learned the secret of being content. See it as a learning opportunity. Discontent is a learning opportunity. So we have to learn it. So that's the first thing about this content, contentment, as Paul describes it, ultraea is learned. It's not built in. It's learned. But there's more. Secondly, we've already alluded to this. Autarchaea, contentment, as Paul describes it, is not merely about shutting off emotions. It's not like just turning off a faucet. Like, okay, I'm just going to go dark with my emotions now and be Spock, you know? That was how the Stoics defined it. That's not how Paul defines it. Like we said, Paul takes a philosophical, Greek philosophical idea like autarchaea, and he converts it by focusing it through Jesus. I have learned the secret of being content. 12, 13, verse 13 I can do all this through him this isn't a mere call to have a better attitude get a better attitude well that's true but that's not where we start we don't demote the emotional life we don't shut down our emotions there's no There's no way you can just turn off the faucet maybe some can do it better than others but by and large it's not the path the path to transformation This is about bringing all those emotions, all your struggles to Jesus through him. Autarkaia through him. That's the move that Christians make. It is a Christ centered contentment, laying it at his feet, laying those emotions down. I'm really frustrated right now in this car. I'm really scared for my spouse. It's not denial of that. It's naming it and laying it down through Christ. It's not a moral, it's not a fatalistic, well, whatever, I'll trust myself to the faith. No, it's trusting yourself to Jesus. You could say Paul relationalizes autarchia. That's an upgrade for contentment. It's not in us. Remember we said earlier, this isn't natural. So lo and behold, Christianity actually... Interprets reality better than the Greeks did, right? Because it knows, Jesus knows, Paul knows, we don't have this in us, so God gives it to us. I can do all of this through Him, not in myself. This is good news. It's good news for the traffic jam, it's good news for the chemo chair. What our Lord calls us to, He provides in Himself. 13, I can do all this through him. Bring it to him who gives me strength, not from me. I don't have it. You don't have it. He has it. Good news. Hear the gospel there. Our role in these moments is to pivot away from ourselves. It's that pivot. Prayer is a great way to pivot. I've been claiming lately Psalm 61 verse 2. Lord lead me to the rock that is higher than I. You know, you can do that. You can you can you can pivot mentally and, and even sometimes physically in prayer. Maybe some of you do this. There's no, I mean there's lots of ways you can pray, sometimes walking in prayer, sometimes kneeling, sometimes lifting up your arms, but ways that you can literally turn your body or even just in your mind pivot to the to him who gives you strength and seek that contentment. Liturgy, different prayers, structures, however you do it, whether you pray the way we pray in this service or the first service or anything in between. You know, it's a big ocean of prayer prayer options in the church. But it helps us pivot. Hymns and praise help us pivot to the one that gives us strength. Being prayed for helps us pivot to the one that gives us strength. Memorizing and reciting scripture helps us pivot the lord provides the contentment we just have to turn and seek him and get it and even if you're having trouble turning say okay holy spirit i'm really frustrated i'm jacked up internally help me to pivot now and the spirit will that's the path to contentment in a christian sense that's autarchia christianized converted not merely turning off emotions like a stoic the Lord doesn't ask us to do that. The Lord says turn toward me. Turn toward me. Like a child turned towards a parent, like a to- like a child, a toddler turning toward a parent. That's the path of contentment. So, contentment is A process that's learned. Contentment is not merely shutting off your negative emotions. It's a relationship. So it's a process. It's a relationship. That's the contentment. And lastly, we got to point out the contentment that is relationally learned through practice is not passive. Contentment is not passivity. Contentment actually frees us to bold, daring action. Just look at the life of Paul who was content in Christ. Paul was content, but he wasn't inert. <laughs> Paul's work has an urgency to it, but it's an urgency that lives from contentment in Jesus. That's why Paul is so free. Years ago, I read the phrase from Max Lucado, a Christian writer. It saved me the rest of my life. He wrote about being freed from failure's fatality. At a funeral around that same time for a dear man, Willis Yoakum, in the church where I grew up with, his son, talked about how Willis embodied the grace of God by saying to his son, you can be perfectly free to be imperfect. That doesn't cancel out striving or growing and, you know, wanting to become a better person in Christ. But we're most free to do that when we know we're loved where we are. So contentment is is that center place. It's that place where we know we're cherished, where we're loved as we are, before we can do one thing to earn it. And that sort of connectedness and being cherished, being loved, that contentment at the center, make no mistake, that is the nuclear fuel of life. When you live held and contented in. That actually enables you to be bold. That's what Paul did. When you're content in God's love for you. When you're content that you're claimed as God's child in Jesus Christ. Then you're free to live life with risk and bold abandon. That's how Paul did. That's contentment as empowerment. Pastor and writer Bill Hall writes about the struggle with impatience in ministry. He and Eugene Peterson talk about impatience as something that besets anyone doing ministry because it can be hard and slow work. How do we get from impatience to patience? From, or you could say, I think, from discontent to discontentment to contentment. Hall writes this. He says... I found the cure in rest, not primarily physical rest, but soul rest. Soul rest in God's approval and His promise to give me the fruit in His time. Soul rest in God's approval. And his promise to give me fruit in his time. But his rest didn't just fall out of a tree. I had to invite him into my inner world for fellowship. I had to learn to be quiet and listen to his whisper. To understand his hand in the circumstances of my life. I had to learn to hear him in the beauty of the earth. And in the pleasure of relationships. Isn't that good? And so I started to understand my personal time with God as a conversation. And sought, I sought to know him in a relational way i sought to know him in a relational way and here it is here's here's contentment are you ready i learned to let god love me i learned to let god love me over a period of years impatience left me little by little And I think the same would be true when we let God love us and let that feed a deep sense of ah, contentment wherever we are. Discontent leaves us and we are launched. We are launched and we are freed from failures, fatality. We are free to risk whatever the circumstance because we're known in love there. Come what may, that's Freedom. That's the empowerment on the other side of contentment. Christ's work, the call, the mission is urgent. But unless we have that deep sense of being held and content in Christ, um, it'll be too much. And sometimes when it still is, it drives us right back to the contentment. We have to know constantly who we are and whose we are. Bill Hall again writes, I started to understand my personal time with God as a conversation. And I sought to know him in a relational way. And I learned to let God love me. This is the learning. I learned to be content over the process in relationship. And that that's what empowers May it be so for me and for you, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.